everybody. Welcome back to Passing Judgment, a podcast about politics and the law and a lot of things in between. I'm your host, loyal law school professor Jessica Levinson. You've heard me say that a lot of times, and today we're joined by the dean of Loyola Law School, my friend and boss, Michael Waterstone. In addition to being the dean and senior vice president of Loyola Law School, Michael is a nationally recognized expert in disability and civil rights law. He is an award-winning professor. He is a favorite among our students. And today we're going to talk about leadership and legal education. Michael, we are so thrilled that you are here. Thank you for passing judgment with us. Professor Levinson, thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Let's dive right in with a very general question. What does it take to be a good leader? God, that's a great question. I think, I mean, leadership is a lot of things, but certainly it's being able to motivate people and colleagues to move in a certain direction. I just have to ask out of curiosity, Michael, when you were growing up, were you the kid who was you know, captain of the baseball team, student body president? Did you have those leadership roles early on, or is it something that you took on, I don't want to say later in life, but once you were an adult? So, I mean, the answer is no. I was not student. My wife was student body president and did all of that stuff. And, and no doubt she's a far more talented leader than I am. Um, I, I, you know, I, I teach a course on law and leadership, which is so fascinating and fun. And there's such a rich literature on this, both leadership in general, but also the role of lawyer is leader. And one of the things that we talk about in that class is we all have leadership roles to play in our personal and professional lives all of the time. And you certainly don't need to be at the top of any organizational chart to be a leader. So when I came into this position, I'm now in year five, quite candidly, there was very little in my background that prepared me to lead a large organization. I had been an attorney. I had been a law professor. I had been an associate dean, but I had never been responsible for a $60 million budget. Uh, In an era that was a really challenging one, both from a programmatic perspective, but also from a budget one. And, you know, fortunately, I, I was at a point in life where I was excited about a new challenge. And it's been an amazing learning experience. Uh, I, I love the fact that I'm, I'm flexing new muscles, doing things that I have not gotten to do before. And, and, and quite frankly, oftentimes very far out of my comfort zone. And I just find that a lot of fun. It is interesting. I mean, I see this with some of my students. I see this with some of my friends who've gone to law school that you get really good at whatever it is that you're doing, the practice of law. And then you're promoted to a leadership position that you might have actually no experience with. And you might not have had any leadership skills training. And it's a completely different rubric. But I'm thinking about, for instance, you know, a law firm where you're a great trial attorney and all of a sudden you're the managing partner. And I do wonder from your perspective, you said, you know, you weren't the kid who was always, you know, let me run to be uh, eighth grade class president. How many of these leadership skills do you think are innate and how much of it is learned from either classes or community or parents? You know, how much can we start out feeling like we don't necessarily have those leadership skills, but we can grow into it? 
Yeah, it's a great question. And, and there's a fascinating literature on this that we study in my law and leadership class. Um, obviously, it's a mix, but I think I feel very comfortable saying leadership is a constantly set of evolving skills that can all be learned and improved on. I know that certainly I'm learning and hopefully on my best days, even improving. Um, so I, I, I do think that leaders are probably made, not born. There are different types of leaders for any individual circumstance. There are different types of leadership styles. And like anything, it is certainly something that one could get better at. I do think, and this is, we're at a challenging moment for everyone on the planet right now. There's, there's so much coming at us so quickly and so much change and, and fear and anxiety. I have found it would be hard to be an effective leader without a support team, both on the personal and the professional side. So, you know, I am fortunate here to work with a, a great group of colleagues that we, we truly are a cohesive leadership team and think of it as such. Um, but in some ways, even more importantly, is on the personal side and I am blessed with, you know, an amazing wife and three wonderful children and just having those outlets where you can go and give your soul time to regenerate and feel good and disconnect. I find that so important that for me in this position right now as Dean, in some ways, the hardest and best part of the job is doing it with young kids. So my kids, they're, they're getting older, certainly since I've came into this, they are 14, 12, and 7. Um, and the hard part is I'm very involved in their lives. And when I interviewed for this position, I was very clear that if if you're looking for a dean who is going to do dinner seven nights a week and kind of do this to the exclusion of all other things, that is certainly a model. And, and I get that. Don't hire me, like because that's not something I'm interested in doing. I'm going to be a dad and a husband long after I stop being Dean. So I'm very involved in my kids' lives. I've coached all of their sports kind of throughout to this day. It creates an almost impossible calendar challenge. And, you know, I have to get out in front and schedule things. And, you know, I wind up missing some things that as Dean, I probably should be at. But it, it to me, it was always and remains more important to be there and be present for them. The upside, the thing that makes it the best part of the job is my kids are still young enough that both they like me and like spending time with me, but also they, for the most part, for the most part, could profoundly care less what I do. And I just I, find that incredibly healthy. Like I, I love going home and getting to be dad, not Dean, and getting to turn that set of issues off, if only temporarily. And I just find that incredibly healthy for me because otherwise, like so many jobs, I mean, these jobs could swallow you up. You could think about this stuff constantly. It reminds me of that Ruth Bader Ginsburg quote where she said, you know, that being a mother was really a respite from being a law student or being a lawyer or being a judge. And that being a law student or a lawyer or a judge was a respite from being a parent and being a wife and that she thought having both jobs really enhanced each. And Michael, I have to have to ask, you don't have to answer. I'm just imagining a woman going into those interviews and saying, I'm going to be a very active mom. Do you think there still is a bit 
of a double standard. I think that when you say, I, I think on the faculty, people really respect you for the fact that you are a very involved parent. And I wonder if a woman would be able to walk in and say the same thing. Like if you want someone there seven days a week, it's not me because I have to be home or I want to be home and I want to be with the kids. Jessica, I completely agree with you that it is a different set of expectations and how people think about this. And that is wrong. It's an area that we in legal education, we in the legal profession, we in the world need to work on. But I I appreciate you raising that. And I think your instinct is absolutely right. It is not lost on me that I am the 18th white male dean of Loyola Law School. And that needs to change. It just does. I watch my wife is a working professional. My wife, as many of you know, is the associate dean at Southwestern Law School, a professor, an attorney. Um, And it is completely a different set of expectations and understandings in terms of how people view the roles. And and that's a problem. And, And I think that there are things that we can do, one small thing is for men to raise the issue and, and, and to try to do what we can to put it on people's radar screens. But it's absolutely an issue. You know, and I'll give you a small kind of amusing tidbit that, that helps drive the point home. So when our kids were younger, part of what we would do to keep our exercise routines is push them in the jogging stroller. And at one point they were like five and three or four and two or something before the third was born. And we had a double stroller we'd put them in. So Julie would go for a jog, push the kids in the double dogging stroller. You know, it was just, it was fine. It was a mom out for a jog with her kids. I would do it and I was a hero. People right. would give me high fives. What an amazing dad. That's incredible. And, you know, I was always aware of that. It certainly drove doing that. It's such a small but identifiable experience, I think, for so many working parents on both sides of it. And I, I will say that it does, you do start, setting the culture at the top. And I think because you say very openly, you know what, my kids play sports, I coach those sports teams, that it does give everybody, I mean, I've been very honest with my students and I've said, um, no, I have, you know, I have childcare issues at that time. I could talk to you on the weekend, but I can't talk to you, you know, at that weeknight. And that's part of how this starts to change. And before we pivot to legal education, outside of the law, is there somebody that listeners will know who you can point to and say, you know what, I think they've got it together. They're motivating the troops. They're working to a common goal. That's someone where I really think I can learn about what it means to be a good leader. And I can use them as an example for our students. I'll tell you kind of two people that, you know, real life people that that I've tried to study and learn from. I've been reading a lot of Winston Churchill and, you know, super interesting guy, but in terms of his ability to filter out noise and keep people's spirits up in an impossible situation and use the tools at his disposal of communication to to keep people going when otherwise everybody would have, you know, there were so many reasons to, to get dispirited. That I just find incredibly compelling. The other, I think one of the best books I've read, you know, in the last decade um, was Bob Igar's book. I think it's called Ride of a Lifetime. He was the former CEO of Disney. And he was very candid and vulnerable in talking about some of his leadership challenges and 
his evolution. Uh, I would commend that book to anybody. I guess the third one I'll point out, uh, and, and this is painful as someone that went to UCLA for undergrad, so has an affinity for the Bruins. Steve Samples, the former president of USC, has a book called Contrarian Leadership that I try to read at least once a year that really is a set of distillable lessons on leadership, particularly in an academic context. Uh, so those are all examples I try to learn from and, and emulate. We could go on for a few more hours on this, I know, but I want to pivot briefly to legal education. And I started teaching about 11 years ago now, and it does seem like things are changing. About 10 years ago, what would you have said are the most important skills that our students should have on graduation day to be successful attorneys, successful professionals? I think it's interesting. In some ways, I don't know that it's changed that much. I mean, I, I, the ability to understand what it is lawyers do, both the set of mechanical tasks, but also the analytic structure for being able to make, understand, organize legal arguments, um, some fluency in the different range of tasks that lawyers engage in over their, you know, the beginning of their legal career, whether it's on the litigation side, the business side, the, the transactional side, certainly an understanding at a high level of some foundational background areas of the law. Even 10 years ago, I would say an understanding and competence with technology both as it exists, but also how it can be. And two things also that I think haven't changed are one, an understanding of law and equality mm -hmm. and the, the different power structures that exist in our society and how the law can be a tool to bring justice to those who would not otherwise had it, but can also be a tool of oppression. And, and the last thing is resilience, which is a conversation that we try to have, you know, a lot around here that, that, that things happen in life that are challenging, that are unfair, that, that, that bring you down. And, you know, so much of life is being able to absorb that, treat it as a challenge, grow from it and keep moving forward. And that's a huge part of life, but it's also a huge part of our profession. Oh, absolutely. Because it's a group of, you know, high drive, high achievers. And at some point, particularly if you're engaged in litigation, you're going to lose and, oh, yeah. or you're, you're not going to get the job you expected or you're the internship or things won't go your way and being able to be resilient. I just, I couldn't agree more. Now, have things changed that dramatically in the last decade in the sense of has that skill set, has that rubric that we want them to have when you, you know, congratulate the class of it will be 2021. Have things changed that much? And if so, what is different? Well, I hope I could do it in person um, and not. You so know, do virtual. I. Um, but, you know, time will tell. Uh, I don't know that any of those things that I mentioned before have changed all that much. Obviously, the range of things that they're doing when they graduate change, that the tools that they need to understand and be fluent in have continued to evolve. And, you know, there's obviously this great literature where some folks are saying the practice of law is going to change more in the next 10 years than it has in the last 200 with others saying that, you know, the law has always changed and, and sure we exist in an era of rapid change, but in some ways 
the biggest innovation in the practice of law was air conditioning because it meant that people could work inside for right. longer periods of time and different periods of time and you know, typewriter to word processor and all of that. But so I, sure, the profession is changing incredibly rapidly. We are seeing, you know, the, from 10 years ago, already the continued growth of artificial intelligence, um, coding as a part of foundational knowledge for legal practice. So all of that continues to evolve. But again, it's always involved. And one of the things I love about our school is I think we are very good at not standing down and, and preparing our students for the world as it will be, both when they enter the profession, but also that kind of curiosity and sustainable excellence over the course of your career. I mean, one of the most exciting new classes we have is we are teaching students how to code legal algorithms and then take those tools to help uh, public service organizations and legal service providers to be able to improve their work. So look, I, I think part of what today's lawyers need to understand and appreciate is that we have a crushing access to justice gap in our world. It was crushing before Corona and it's going to be worse after where so many people do not have access to basic legal needs, family law, landlord, tenant, all of these areas. And, and it is crushing. And, and people enter these proceedings without lawyers and they get, they get slaughtered. And it, it, it takes away their livelihood and in some cases their lives. There are some that say, and I, I tend to agree, that the scope of that challenge is probably too big to be solved by human beings working on the problem of other human beings. We are going to need to leverage technology as at least a partial solution for some of these issues. And, and part of legal education needs to be to exist in that space. We've learned a lot from you, but as loyal listeners of the Passing Judgment podcast know, we'd like to learn a little bit more about you. I ask all of my guests the same three questions. So I didn't prepare you for this. Here we go. Which famous person, dead or alive, would you want to invite to a dinner party and why? So... If my kids could be there, I would have to say Mike Trout, who is the center fielder for the Angels and arguably one of the best baseball players, you know, to, to, to ever play the game. Uh, my kids are obsessed with him. It is wonderful that we're getting to see the best player of our generation during my kids' kind of formative sports years on their favorite team. Um, so that, that, that's not a particularly deep or thoughtful answer, but uh, boy, that would be cool. No, actually, that is because you want to have that experience with your kids. And you just brought in a whole new audience for us, the sports fan audience, because as listeners of the podcast know, they're not going to get that from me. Now, question number two, you're going to be stranded on a desert island and you can bring one meal with you. What is it? I would bring sushi. We get that a lot. Now, last one. Question number three, you can have one superpower for one hour. What is it and why? I think I would fly. I want to fly around like Superman. I mean, I love those scenes in the movie. I remember love thinking about that as a kid. I'm sure I could come up with something that would serve the world better with my one-hour superpower, but I think it'd just be fun to fly around. 
Michael, we have loved passing judgment with you today. When I told you that I wanted to start this podcast, you said, do it. What can we do to help? And I'm very, very grateful to you for that. Thanks, Jessica. This was really fun. You can find out more about Loyal Law School on social media at Loyal Law School. You can find me on Twitter at Levinson Jessica, the podcast on Twitter at Pass Judgment Pod, and on Instagram at Passing Judgment Pod. Thank you so much to the listeners. We hope that there were, as always, a lot of law school applicants and current law school students who were listening to this. I had a great time, and we will see you next time. Mm-hmm.